The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Hinniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing currency risk. Specifically, I will analyze the risks involved in investing in foreign companies with a focus on changes in the value of the local and foreign currency. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast in a rating and review today. Rate this podcast in your podcast player, whether that's Apple Podcast app or Spotify or YouTube. If you're on YouTube, give this podcast a like and subscribe. Your reviews and ratings help to grow the podcast audience so that I can help more people. Thank you for your support. So let's dive right on in. The first part of this show will be focused on understanding currency exchange rates. Then we will discuss purchasing power parity and follow it up with how should you relate to investing in foreign companies. So, understanding currency exchange rates. The first thing to understand is that you need to think about currencies in terms of your local currency and foreign currencies. Now, I sit in the United States. You might be in a different current country, but think about it in terms of your country versus other countries' currency. So I'm in the United States and we use the United States dollar. Right across the border, we have the Mexican peso and the Canadian dollar up north. Over in Europe, you have the European euro and around the world, you have different currencies. So what you need to think about is if I am in the United States and I invest in a Canadian company, that Canadian company is likely to be priced in Canadian dollars and operate with Canadian dollars. That would be a foreign currency for me as a U.S. investor. Meanwhile, if someone is in Canada and they're investing in the United States, then the United States would be the foreign country with the U.S. dollar being the foreign currency. So wherever you're listening to this, think about it in those terms. You have the local currency. That's the currency that you use each and every day to make your purchases. That's the currency you get paid in. That's the currency you pay your taxes in. And the foreign currency is the currency of the country that you are investing in outside of your own. So, now that we've captured the basic piece there, you need to be aware that most world currencies are free floating. 
This means that their value fluctuates every day in price against all other currencies. So there will be an exchange rate between your currency and the currency of the foreign government. So when I'm recording this podcast, again, I sit in the United States and I can look up the exchange rate between US dollars and Canadian dollars. Right now, one US dollar buys about 1.31 Canadian dollars. So if I were to to go to Canada and I needed to take some money and I needed to purchase something in Canada, if I took 100 US dollars over the border and exchanged it, I could have 131 Canadian dollars to purchase items in Canada. That number fluctuates every day. Tomorrow, it might be 130 Canadian dollars for every 100 US dollars, or it might be 125 Canadian dollars for 100 US dollars. It can change from day to day. When you listen to this podcast, it might be a different exchange rate than the rate that I used to talk about on this show. That's okay. The key point is to understand exchange rates fluctuate between different currencies. The second point is that Almost all American currencies, or almost all world currencies, sorry, are fiat currencies. A fiat currency means that there are no assets backing up their value. In the past, it used to be that there'd be assets backing the value of a currency. So historically, the United States dollar was backed by gold. So it was not a fiat currency. You could take your currency, your dollars, to the bank, and they would give you gold for your dollars. That is no longer true. Now, you can certainly still buy gold, but it used to be that your the price of gold was stable and fixed to the currency. Now, the price of gold changes in response to every currency. So you buy gold with, say, $1,500, and you get back an ounce of gold. Well, it used to be that Gold was fixed at a certain price, so it used to be exactly $1,500 was always one ounce of gold, and that would never change from day to day. Well, now it changes each and every day. So not only do the currencies float against each other, they also float against real assets. That's why you see real assets like gold, real estate, um, land, they fluctuate all the time. It's because they're not fixed to a certain asset that's backing these values. What that means is that all currencies are simply based on trust. The only reason that currency has value is because people believe it has value and they know that other people believe it has value. Now that's okay because it doesn't matter that it doesn't have value as long as everyone else continues to think it has value. But what it does mean is that this value is going to fluctuate. You don't know exactly what the value of your currency will be in the future. This is not talking about inflation risk, which we already recently covered in a podcast. We're talking about exchange risk. So exchange rates, therefore, embed assumptions about the future outlook for each country. So the exchange rates between the United States and the Canadian dollars are going to reflect factors like interest rates in those two countries, the amount of currency being created in those two countries, and central bank policy in those two countries. All these factors and others will determine what the average trader in the market believes those currencies are worth against each other. They're changing all the time. You have lots of countries around the world, dozens and dozens and 
potentially hundreds of currencies around the world, and those are changing all the time. Now, as an investor, that increases the complications for you investing if you invest in a foreign economy. Now, it's quite common for U.S. investors to only invest in the U.S., and it's quite common for, but it's less common for other investors around the world to only invest in their home countries. It does happen, but with the United States being about half of the market capitalization of the entire world stock market, it's more common that you're going to have foreign investors, basically people that are outside the United States, choosing to invest in the United States some of their money. But you do have United States investors investing in foreign countries. So this is relevant for everybody. But what you need to think about is that there does introduce this currency exchange rate risk. So what is the risk? And that leads us to discuss a mental model called purchasing power parity. And for here, the easiest way to understand that is the hamburger test. In almost every country in the world, there exists a McDonald's. Why? Not exactly sure, other than that McDonald's is quite popular. It's spread around over the last hundred years to become the largest restaurant chain in the world. But the question is, how much does it cost to purchase a McDonald's hamburger in each country? And the key point is you need to talk in terms of only a single currency. So for here, I'm going to talk about U.S. dollars. How many U.S. dollars does it take to purchase a McDonald's hamburger in the United States, depending on what it is, it could be, you know, or this could be, let's say if we said like a Big Mac, well, maybe a Big Mac is $3 in the United States, but it might be $3.50 in Canada, or $2 in Europe, or $7 in Europe, or $15 in China, or $15, or maybe a dollar in China. You have to see that this number will be different throughout the world. Now, it's not going to be as different as I'm saying. should be fairly close, but in some senses it will. And this will reflect certain aspects of the country. What are the labor costs in the country? If labor costs are higher, the cost of the hamburger is likely to be higher. What is the cost of acquiring hamburger meat? If that cost is higher, the cost of the hamburger is going to be higher. But what it's also going to impact is it's going to show what is the strength of those currencies. And this is the part that really matters. It doesn't matter if the exchange rate changes between two currencies, as long as the purchasing power parity stays the same. So if you're able to still buy, let's say, let's say in Europe, it costs 50% more money to buy a hamburger than it does in the United States. Well, for a U.S. investor, that matters because it means if you want to buy a hamburger in Europe, you're going to need 50% more money. But for a U.S. investor, it doesn't matter as long as when they bring their money back to the U.S. after making a European investment, it still maintains that same ratio. And that ratio is important because if that ratio has changed, it means the underlying exchange rates and the power of those currencies will have also changed, which means you could lose money. So if instead you make an investment in Europe and the European economy was very strong and then the European economy gets weaker and then you pull that investment back to the US, you might lose money in local currency even if the investment never changed in price. So when we're talking about currency risk, we're talking about this loss and your purchasing power in your local currency. Because when you're investing abroad, you're often investing in another currency. But when you want to spend your money, 
you often want to spend it in your local currency, which means you want to bring it back to your country. You want to make purchases in your own country. Now, remember that because one way to mitigate that, and we'll discuss a little bit more, is simply to buy things in that foreign country when you want to spend that money. So if you're investing in Europe and you're an American citizen, you could travel to Europe, fly to Europe, and spend your European investment money in Europe while you're there. And then when you come back to the US, you spend your American investment money. And you can support your lifestyle that way by spending in the local currencies when you travel. So how does this relate to investing in companies? When you buy foreign stocks, and again, this is relative to wherever you are, When you buy foreign stocks, you take potentially two key risks. First and foremost, the company that you buy buys and sells its good in a different currency than the one you use in your currency, in your country. So a key example for this for American investors is you might have an American company like Philip Morris International, PMI, um, trades under the symbol PM, that buys and sells all of its goods around the world and none of it is bought and sold in the US dollar. All of it is bought and sold in other currencies. But dividends are paid in US dollars and so what happens is is your dividends will fluctuate based upon the exchange rates against the US dollar for each of those local currencies. So you could have revenue growing, earnings growing in foreign countries, but if the exchange rate is dropping, then your dividends might not actually grow. Now, that's an easy example with Philip Morris, but a better example would be something like where you invest in a Japanese company as an American investor, and that Japanese company executes all of its business in yen. It buys and sells its products and services in yen, and it pays its employees in yen, and it pays dividends in yen. Well, now you have this risk that this company is operating with a different currency. So you will have an exchange rate between the two countries whenever you want to sell your investment, whenever you want to earn your dividends or whenever you make that final sell. And so you need to be aware that that company is operating in a different currency. And it's easy to miss this because what people tend to do is they normalize all of those assumptions that underlie the value of a currency based upon local conditions. So in the United States right now, inflation is about 2% a year. In Japan, inflation is basically 0% a year. That difference matters. And that difference is going to matter in every country we talk about. Some countries have inflations of 6% a year. And if you're investing in a foreign country and you're used to a 2% inflation rate and they have a 6% inflation rate, it's going to change the investment assumptions, which means it will also change the currency exchange rates over time. And if you make a long-term investment like 10 years, it could be a very significant part of the value of your investment that's affected by that exchange rate. So you need to be aware of it and you need to study the stocks that you're buying and understand that there is that embedded risk. The second piece is you might buy the stock in either your local currency or the foreign currency. United States investors have a key benefit in that a lot of foreign companies, foreign to the US, will choose to also list their company stock locally in the US on US OTC markets or US local exchanges. 
So this gives U.S. investors the ability to buy stock using U.S. dollars without having to transfer it into Canadian dollars or without having to transfer that money and convert it into euros. They can buy European companies with U.S. dollars. But that's not true for everyone, and it's not true for every investment. So sometimes when you're a U.S. investor and you want to buy a European company, you have to transfer your your money over into euros to make that purchase, which means you're going to pay currency fees to make that transfer, and you're going to be subject to currency exchange risk when you sell that stock and it comes back. So you will have the embedded risk there of the currency risk from either the company operating in a different currency and the stock being bought in a different currency. And really what this means is simply that if exchange rates change between the time where you make your investment and when you sell your investment, you could face additional gains or losses during that time. And it's important to think that this risk is also in the positive end. You could risk gaining money you didn't expect because the exchange rate has gone in your favor. Now, this always means that the value of your currency, your local currency, has dropped. But as long as you only plan to spend your local currency and you live in your local and you stay living in your local country, that can be okay. It can work out for you as an investor, but you need to be aware of it. So how do you manage currency risk? The obvious question is, should you hedge currency risk? This is very common at the professional level. This is very common amongst institutions. When they invest in bonds across various countries, they will hedge these risks with contracts. All of these contracts are forms of insurance. There are insurance contracts that say, if the currency exchange rate changes 3%, then we only have to pay 1% or something along those lines. They're, they're showing that if the currency rate has changed beyond a certain amount, they're only at risk for a small portion of that. And they're hedging away that risk so that if the exchange rate goes against them, they have a small but guaranteed loss that's built into there. So back to our question, should you hedge? Well, as a retailer investor, and I would argue as professional investors as well, the answer is no. Hedging is a form of insurance, and as a form of insurance, it has a guaranteed loss from the moment you accept the insurance contract because you're paying premiums. On insurance contracts, you pay a premium for the contract as a means of reducing your risk. That premium is lost forever. You will not get that premium back, and it means that each time you make a hedging contract, you are guaranteeing a loss from what you started at. So if you started at $100, you're now at $99, and you've got a guaranteed 1% loss based upon accepting that hedging contract. Could it work out for you? Yes, in the short term. But in the long term, it's a bad strategy to always hedge foreign exchange risk because sometimes the foreign exchange will go in your favor in which you paid insurance and you got nothing for it. Sometimes the foreign exchange will go against you and so you paid insurance and you got a benefit. But all else equal, there's a reason those insurance contracts exist for the insurance companies because the insurance companies make money. So if the insurance companies are making money over the long term, that means that you as the buyer of insurance, is losing money over the long term. 
Now, this isn't going to be true for everyone. Some people are going to benefit from insurance across their lifetime. Some are going to be hurt by insurance across their life. But on average, it means that people who make hedging decisions are losing money. Your default base rate for purchasing a currency hedge is to lose money over the long term. And that is the definition of speculation, and it's not what investors should be doing if they want to maximize their returns in the long term and minimize their losses. Now, the reason this is true is that because in the long run, currency exchange rates tend to fluctuate around a mean and are fairly stable. So if you're a long-term investor, currency risk should be fairly minimal. As long as you avoid leverage and only ever buy companies with cash, you shouldn't be forced versus margin, you shouldn't be forced into a situation where the currency risk threatens your well-being. With that said, it can be helpful to be aware of potential major macro changes that could affect your investments in foreign currencies. Stuff like Brexit and the recent UK election, which was a known item prior to the election, and the prediction of a conservative victory was well predicted, then you could have been aware of what was going on if you're making an investment in British pounds while being a non-British citizen. You see, when Brexit was first announced and during the uncertainty of the last few years with Brexit, there was a decline in the British pound compared to foreign currencies like the US dollar and the euro. So during this uncertainty, you should have expected that when the uncertainty ended, that the currency exchange rate would rise back to its previous norm. Was this guaranteed? No, but your base assumption should be that exchange rates should generally match their long-term norms during this time frame. So when there was a huge conservative victory in the British election, you saw a rise back in the British pound's value compared to other country currencies around the world. So it could have been prudent to invest in British companies, not because this would happen or because it might happen, but simply because you knew that if the exchange rates did have a major change, then they were likely to go in your favor versus against you. With that, now we need to talk about the other side of the coin. It also means you should simply avoid countries where negative surprises are likely. These would be like dictatorships, corruption, countries with massive debt problems, etc. But really, you should be doing this anyway. You shouldn't be investing in companies with major macroeconomic risks that could involve massive changes to the value of the currency not just because they affect the currency, but they also affect the ability for you to trust the numbers of that country, the numbers of the companies that you're investing in there, and that impacts the ability for you to have long-term returns from that country. So you might be sitting here listening and thinking, okay, well, that's great, but this one investment that I'm making in a foreign country I want to hedge that risk because I expect a loss of currency during this time frame. You know, I expect there to be this massive, you know, news coming up soon that could really drastically change the value of the currency. And again, my first instinct is that's a red flag about 
why are you investing in that company in the first place? If you have a big fear about a country where you think their currency is going to be massively destroyed over a period of time, yes, you can hedge it. But again, anytime you hedge, you're locking in an insurance premium where you're going to lose money. So you might want to consider finding investments where that's not the risk. Again, what I'm trying to talk about in currency risk is finding investments that are just normal, where you're in two, you're in a stable country, you're also investing in a foreign stable country, countries like the United States, countries like Canada, countries like Europe, countries like the UK. Um, if you're outside of North America and Europe, obviously use your judgment. Those are the areas I understand the best. It's why I'm talking about them. But if you're in Asia, Africa, South America, Australia, Use your judgment, evaluate your country and the foreign countries to see if they meet these definitions. Are they stable? Do they have massive debt problems? Is there large corruption? Are there dictatorships? Are there things that would cause the ability for capitalism to work to fail? And if so, avoid it. You don't have to make investments in every company you see. And the easiest way to manage currency risk is simply to avoid it in the first place. If you can find companies that are in your home country and your home currency that meet your investing needs, you do not need to invest internationally. You never need to invest internationally if you can find sufficient ideas in your home country. There's this idea that Everyone, especially in the United States, but it's probably heard a lot abroad, that everyone needs to be investing in certain countries. I could certainly see how if you're, a, if you're someone from outside the United States, then you might hear pressure to invest some in the United States. We have a great history of high-performing investments. We have very stable economy. We have very strong law-supporting companies, and we have strong culture of returning cash to shareholders, all very positive things in the United States that lead to high performance for the stock market. But if you're in your country, if you're sitting in Germany and you have 10 great ideas or 20 great ideas in Germany to invest in, you don't need to invest in the United States. You can completely eliminate the currency risk by simply understanding and investing in the countries that in the companies you understand in the country you're in. Now, it's not going to apply to everybody. You need to understand your own situation and evaluate. Is my country one of these countries that has these stable characteristics? Are the companies I'm evaluating actually cheap? Are they high quality? Are they all the things I talk about on this podcast that help you outperform? Are they capital light? Are, is the management understanding of capital allocation? You're still doing the same things. So when you think about currency risks, just remember that hedging is a cost. Hedging is not a method to increase your returns. Hedging is a way to limit your losses. And the best way to limit your losses is not to have them from making a bad currency decision. So in summary, your goal as an investor is to earn an acceptable return on your investment capital over your investing lifetime. One potential risk of earning an acceptable return is for your investment returns to be eroded by changes in the value of foreign currency. You can limit this by avoiding countries with large problems that may impact the currency. Hedging this risk 
tends to be a mistake because it guarantees a loss if you always hedge currency risk over your entire investment lifetime. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's show, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 59. Remember, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you've gained financial value from listening to this show, consider supporting the show financially as a patron. Premium members of the podcast can join at diyinvesting.org slash patron, and they can receive exclusive access to my investing process where I write about the stocks that I'm researching, and you can read my quality analysis, my intrinsic value reports, as a premium diyinvesting.org member. If you cannot support the show financially as a patron, but you would like to still support the show, please give the show a five-star rating and review in your podcast player. If you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe this video so you can get more investing content. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Hinegar, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.